Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, good morning, and possibly good night uh, to the No Bad Dog Army. Hope you guys are doing absolutely well. Happy Monday. Uh, if you guys don't know, Mondays are my favorite. I call it Media Motivation Monday Madness, whatever M you could put in. I love Mondays. It fires me up. Uh, I love what I do as well, so that helps. But I love you guys even more. So thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Uh, this is with a... This episode is great because it has a lot of different questions that I think you guys are going to really uh, be help, be uh, helped by. And one of the biggest things is the, the nail trimming. I mean, that's huge for a lot of people out there, as well as this is a kind of a street dog type um, with some very primal uh, kind of skin not sketchy, but nervy genetics. So we want to kill cats. We want to go after cats. Not really sure what to do with other dogs. Um, we're humping. We're not coming back when called. Um, just a good podcast. And as you guys know, I wouldn't put it out if I didn't think it was going to be helpful or it wasn't going to be something new for you guys. So I hope you enjoy it. And I just want to give a big shout out to the sponsors of today's podcast, We Feed Raw. If you guys don't know, I've been feeding raw with to my dogs for a long time now. Uh, it's it's really helped the longevity and the behavior and the the health of my dog. And uh, I'm very grateful for raw food. But one thing that was really missing was a raw food company that I can tell you guys to go out and get. Um, so I've been feeding raw for six, seven years now. But now there's a company, We Feed Raw. Link in the description below. You guys get 25% off your first order. Uh, it's a subscription-based service that delivers right to your door. So you go online, you type in your dog's information, how much they weigh, things like that, any allergies, and they're going to formulate a, a specific uh, meal for your dog. And you just open the package up, put it in the bowl, boom, and it's done. So link in the description below. Again, 25% off using my link and discount code MBD25. And uh, at the end of the podcast, I'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions. So make sure if you guys have any questions or if this podcast is helpful on any account, please leave us a review. It means a lot to us to help grow this podcast and we appreciate you guys we love you guys and we'll talk to you at the end so um a little bit of background i'm a vet student cool and i adopted a dog from the island and she's i did a genetics test on her and she's 80 percent pitbull with a little bit of rottweiler and german shepherd 
mm-hmm. just for like context as to like the behavior that I'm I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have like some intermediate experience with training. So I worked in a zoo and I've done some medical training with animals to like facilitate um, medical procedures. So I'm like I'm like intermediate level, but not not really like. Um, a lot of experience with training dogs. Sure. So I'm, I'm hoping to get just some tips from you to help me like bring that my dog's training to the next level. I've been having some issues like in a few areas that I've been trying a few different things and it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, so recently I've started using the e-collar and I've watched your videos on YouTube and some other videos um, from other trainers to kind of get an idea of how to use it properly. Mm-hmm. I've been using it um, mostly right now to train her off leash with her recall. Okay. And it's been working really, really well. Um, how I use it is I tell her to come. And then if she doesn't come, I use the vibrate until what? she turns sorry go ahead i'm sorry what collar do you have that'll help it's the abby dot okay not familiar but it's okay i just got it on amazon because i didn't want to buy an expensive one if the training wasn't working out too well so i started off with like a cheaper one um but since it works well i might invest in like a like a more expensive one sure um so yes i'll i'll tell her to come and if she doesn't initially turn around right away and come to me, then I'll vibrate her until she does. Um, and if she doesn't, then I'll use like a low level of the stim mm-hmm. to get her to come. And now more recently, after doing that a few times, I don't have to even use the stim. Sometimes I don't even have to use the vibrate. It just comes, she, she just comes right away. Mm-hmm. So that's working well. Um, what I'm having difficulty with is she has a very high prey drive. And sometimes, like, she'll be excellent, and I'm super confident in our recall, and then she'll see, like, a cat or a mongoose, which is, like, a squirrel type of thing that we have here, Mm -hmm. and she is gone. No matter the stim, no matter me calling her, she's gone. So is she off-leash when you're doing this? Yes. Okay, got it. Um... And she'll eventually come back. I'm not worried about me losing her. I just, I don't want her to do that. And sure, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, I feel like I'm scared because her prey drive is so high. I'm afraid that if she were to get the cat, that she would kill the cat. Yeah, I'd agree. And sometimes when I, it's 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 like a weird thing it's weird to describe or hard to describe but when i when i'm training with her and i i go off leash in like a a secluded area but sometimes there are stray cats around and when she sees one like she'll be she will she'll be listening to me focusing on me and then she'll see a cat and it's like she can't she doesn't hear me um and like her there's like no one home anymore i got it okay yeah Yeah. so that's the biggest thing you'd say uh, I have like four main issues. So there was the the prey drive and also kind of like building off of that sometimes. So I, I exercise her about an hour to two hours a day because she's very high energy. And sometimes even despite that, 
she'll come home and at night around like 10, she'll get very, very, very excited and overstimulated. And she starts, it's like the same thing. There's like no one home. And no matter how I like try to calm her down or like talk her out of it, she's just like crazy. She's running around. She's on the bed. She's off the bed. She's like running into the walls. And then she also starts like humping me. Mm-hmm. I've like tried to read up on like what, if it's like an energy seek, um, an attention seeking behavior, if she's like trying to prove her dominance over me, I'm not quite sure. And it, it's like very intense. So there's like the prey drive really overstimulated. She gets like crazy. And then I wanted to also ask you about, which could be relevant also for veterinary medicine. Sorry, I'm looking at my notes. Mm-hmm. It's um, nail clipping. I have tried to do the nail clipping um, with like positive reinforcement and training her to willingly let me cut her nails. Sure. And it's not, not working. I need, so I, I started doing, we were three people, two to hold her down and one person to cut the nails. And now that I've noticed since I was the one holding her down, she got for like two, three weeks after I would cut her nails, every time I would be sitting on my bed and I would move, she would run and hide. Mm-hmm. And she, she was like scared of me. Mm-hmm. So now I've kind of switched it to two, like three of my friends, not me, do the nails and I'm not associated with that. But I was wondering if you had any tricks as I would, I, I don't want it to be a negative experience for her. I don't know how to make it better. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing was... I would like her to be, I guess it all kind of fits together, but I would like her to be able to like walk through a public area and not be like super overstimulated and crazy and like pulling on the leash. And I feel like she's just, she gets very overstimulated and ideally, I don't know if I would ever get there with her. I would like to walk through, let's just say like, um, an outdoor market or like in a public area outside and have her be able to walk on leash and not be like barking and pulling and just being like overwhelmed. Yeah. Okay. I, I totally get it. Um, so a couple things, it was she like a street dog before this? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So her litter was, uh, she was her street dog. Like, yes, she was found when she was six weeks old. Um, and, I adopted her, <clears throat> excuse me, at six months. Um, but her mom was a street dog, and every dog before her was a street dog. So she has it in like Genetics. ingrained. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think she herself ever lived on the street aside from okay. zero to six weeks. But all of her genetics are, and mom yeah. was. Because it's yeah. interesting, we've um, obviously through pregnancies, um, it can like that stress and that fight or flight and that like, mm-hmm. you know, do or die type thing can, it just like goes down the chain, doesn't it? So, um, okay. Let's start with the first thing. So the recall, um, so, there, um, when you're introducing off leash recall to any dog, there is different levels of that and different incremental patterns that you'll ha- you have to go through mm-hmm. in order to successfully achieve the true and real off-leash recall. Okay. So like anything else, if you had a really big test, 
on any level, doesn't matter if it's a, a bike test or a, a academic test, you have to study in order to understand how to handle that, whatever mm-hmm. that test may be. And so, and there's levels to it. And so with, with the off-leash stuff, it's like, there's, I, I always say that there's three levels of pet obedience training and it's, it's beginner, intermediate, and expert. And so mm-hmm. the expert level type of ask, if you will, is, is going to be the off-leash outside distraction, like the most real recall that you could ever get is having an animal that has prey drives and, well, multiple drives and has four legs and is super fast and we just let them off leash and when we say come, they come back. That is a expert level type of training. And in order to achieve that expert level type of training in that environment successfully and consistently, you have to incrementally build the everything, the duration, the environments, the distractions. So you have to basically test the waters each time you go up to make sure that you're ready for that ask. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, that's, so that's the first thing is uh, it makes total sense because you're, and it also becomes just to give you context for the dog's point of view, from my experience, it seems it becomes this currency game. It becomes this marketing game where, if there's something else, so if you, um, and we've been doing, like I say, we, I mean, as a group um, of working with dogs and creating content and filming these things and then putting them out, we've just been seeing over the years that if you predicate your obedience off of um, positive reinforcement in the beginning, it's the best thing to do because the dog is getting rewarded for doing the behavior. And that's the definition of positive reinforcement is, is to encourage a behavior or have a likelihood of the behavior from happening or to happen again in the future, which is no doubt the easiest thing and the best thing to do. But what ends up happening is, is like in your situation, if you, what, what's your dog's name? Tofi. Tofi. Yeah. Like tofu, but with an eye. Cool. So if it's like, so let's say let's say this. Let's say you go inside and you're in your home and you say, Tofi, come. And then is the dog live with you? Yep. Okay. Tofi, come. The dog comes to you. You pay him. Break. Dog's great. Cool. But what happens is, is like for dogs, that's a currency. So that's a, a value. It's a resource. Yep. So then when what ends up happening is, is you're, you might, and this is typical. So you as a dog owner goes, oh, he gets it. He understands it. And then you go outside and then poof, you let the dog off leash and you say, Tofi, come. What ends up happening is naturally, especially for a, let's say genetically, a, a, fair, a fair thing would be like a feral dog or a street dog or a dog that hasn't been domesticated over the last 20 years to live in a home. Mom and dad didn't. So, so they, they have these kind of edgy type mm-hmm. of personalities and behaviors for those reasons. And you have a mixed bag of breeds, which is also like, I would, I would think would be conflicting sometimes to the dogs. I don't know. So, but my point is, is you go outside, you see Tofi come and Tofi's like, yeah, but there's a squirrel and then boom. So this currency game becomes, if you're predicating your training off of, look what I have. And they're like, oh, great. But then when you go outside and it becomes the, the, the value system around you becomes more relevant. 
mm-hmm. and more and the marketing is better, if you will, and the currency is better, if you will, the resource is better. Then when you say Tofi come, your training protocols goes go out the window because you've basically trained them to go after whatever is most valuable to your dog. Mm-hmm. It would be like right now you and I are talking, uh, we have each other's full attention. But then if I said, Hey, let's I'll meet you in Times Square, things change. I have to talk mm-hmm. louder. There's more distractions. There's people walking in front of us. There's horns. There's cars. There's ads. It's crazy. And that would be the equivalence. So we'd have to work on our communication in order to have a successful conversation in that environment. Mm-hmm. So there's that. Um, so just understanding the fundamentals of like why these things happen as quickly as they do. Because you could have just the best recall inside, but you're also the only show in town. So yeah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the e-collar, um, so there's that. So you have to, we call it the three Ds. So it's distance, distraction, and duration. So you have to incrementally build these things up and then you transfer from beginner and then you slowly trickle into intermediate mm-hmm. or mid-level and then you start to transfer into your expert. And at any point, like let's say you did a, um, to make it easy, well, let's say we're working on duration on a downstay. So you would, so you would do in your home, you would do toe feet down, stay, you'd walk away, t- you'd walk away, let's say 10 feet for 10 seconds and you'd master it. And then you'd go 20 feet for 20 seconds and so on and so forth. Let's say you consistently at your house got up to a minute downstay um, for 30 feet, whatever. That was like, you did that for every, you did that every time for a week. The dog got it. It's consistent. Okay. Now that we know, okay, consistency is key. That means it's not a fluke. That means I didn't get lucky. That means the dog is likely capturing the picture. So what you would do then is you'd go to a intermediate level or a beginner level. And so from your home with minimal or no distractions, you might go to a common area inside still like maybe a hallway or a living room where you have roommates or whatever it is but you wouldn't go from two things is you wouldn't go from a very low distraction environment working and mastering the 30 feet at one minute and then go to another distraction and then try to accomplish the 30 feet at one minute you'd go back down to 10 feet 10 seconds because the environmental changes for for animals in general can be so overwhelming depending on breed and obviously the environments mm-hmm. that that's where a lot of people get frustrated is because they, they mastered the one minute at a hundred feet or whatever. And then they try to cap the copy and paste that to another environment and they fail and they're like, what the hell? But you have to understand that that transfer in that environmental shift is, can be monumental for the dog. And that's where a lot of people get frustrated. So my point is, is I don't know how much foundation you've done, but if you're trying to take a dog that only knows recall predicated off of a reward-based system when there's not much going on in the home or mm-hmm. e- even if you're even out so there's that and then and then you take it and then you just take the dog off leash outside with all of this marketing in the Times Square era and then we're like Tofi come the dog's like yeah no yeah. so does that sound about right of what's going on so i've done when i when i trained her initially on the recall i did like you said i did it inside 
and then my intermediate level was not like inside like a like a corridor or mm-hmm. like a hallway i went to a dog park that was empty mm. so we were still like enclosed no one was there but she had much more like sniffing attractions and stuff and even then she was like close to a hundred percent good like i would call her and she would come right away and now we're at the point where i walk like on a more quiet path in like a like an open area other people walk she she can walk by people and she's in a heel she can walk by um like we have cows big cows walk by cows she's in a heel it's more i haven't tried yet against another dog because I don't trust her mm-hmm. and it's it's more when we just see like in context like a predatory animal that she's she's gone and so okay. I don't know how to really like practice that sure okay I'll tell you so um the fundamental levels of what we talked about with obedience and obedience and environmental changes um, that's good that you, 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 you're doing that kind of, but it's, it, it is a hard, like where, where does the deep end start? Like where, yeah. where is this shift? Right. And so when we go from medium level or intermediate to hard, there is that gray area of like, okay, there's nobody at the dog park. But then when you shift to like a more advanced off leash recall, it would be like a squirrel running by and that may be too much. And so it's a hard, like you have to warm things up a little bit. So there's that. That's normal, and that's okay, and that's just like it is. It's it's it is what it is. It's 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 how do you create a clinical environment that's unpredictable? It's like yeah. it's it's very difficult. Yeah. So um, anyway, going back to e collar, the other thing with the remote collar is it's uh, quite literally the same exact application and development as the obedient stuff with levels. So when you're introducing the remote collar, and I, I know you said you've watched some of my videos and others, and so understanding that the, your objective is to teach the dog that the low level of stimulation is, um, is, a, is you, and we do a classical negative reinforcement process with it. So we get the dog on a 15-foot long line. We say, Tofi, come. Our continuous comes on. The dog responds to us physically and commits. The e-collar shuts off. The dog gets paid. It's a beautiful thing. But the remote collar that you're using, we'll talk about in a second, but also just understanding that there's also levels to understanding the remote collar. So let's say it's the same thing. It's, it's a beginner understanding, intermediate, and then advanced of like, oh, I, I totally get this. Uh, and, and if you, so if you do, so let's say you do the obedience properly, one, two, three, you're good, but then you do the remote collar and you start off on an expert level remote collar understanding because that onboarding process for the dog to understand the stimulation levels and to understand how to shut things off and where it's coming from. And if it does get more intense, they need to understand like, oh, this is why that's happening. Because if you start to get into the dog not fundamentally understanding how to shut the remote collar off through different exercises, which I'll talk about, then what can happen is two things. Is let's say you're kind of flirting between intermediate to advanced, so the dog is completely off leash. Uh, She sees another animal, and then she goes right into prey drive. Well, when she goes, her adrenaline is going, her heart is pounding, like she's in this like... um, I mean, she's doing what dogs do there. I mean, just like predatorial, like I'm going to get this thing. So it's a very like 
you got an eight-week-old kitten. I mean, nobody taught that kitten how to wiggle their butt and wag their tail and jump on a toy. And that's just what it's 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 there. It's innate. So when you get a dog that has prey drive, or and, and it's no question that your dog does. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go get this thing. You have to then compete with that, and your stimulation levels. Obviously, that's why we do remote collar training. It's the only device in the entire world that allows you to enforce behaviors and hold a dog accountable completely off leash, which is beautiful. But in order to achieve that wonderful thing, there's a lot of foundational imprinting and development that you have to do. So if you spike your remote collar, and we'll, t- we'll talk about your remote collar in a minute, but if you spiked your remote, like let's say to make it easy, like my remote collar, I have a remote collar with Dogtra, which is the company. It's a signature series that I developed with them. It has 127 levels. So in the beginning, the dog has to fundamentally understand that the level four that I'm using at no point in time in the conditioning process, is it going to be aversive or stressful or a punishment or punitive at any level, at any point, the dog just understands that that stimulation is me and they're doing things that they already know well in order to shut the remote collar off using classical negative reinforcement. I'm holding continuous down after I ask the dog to place, but the dog has already gone through a ton of training on place, they know it well. So place, continuous, the dog gets there, poof, it shuts off. So the dog then understands that the verbal pressure also is then associated with this very low level stimulation of the remote collar. And as soon as they comply to the behavior, it shuts off. Mm-hmm. And again, if you watch my videos, you understand and you've seen physically, it's a very enjoyable, fun exercise for the dog. There's just this now background noise of the stimulation that's now associated with your voice. But if they don't understand that stimulation and where it's coming from and how to shut it off through obedience because we've been practicing it for weeks, then what can happen is is you can spike the remote collar to a punitive or aversive level um, on a my collar that, that literally is like if we're conditioning on a four, talking every day, uh, an aversive level on my remote could be a 15 to 20. But keep in mind, it has 127 levels. So if we did need to go into emergency mode where the dog is now in danger and we turned it up to a 60, which still, you know, that's a, that's a little less than halfway, that would be really corrective or aversive to the dog. Um, because remember, we're, we're speaking on a four and the dog's like, oh, okay, this is you now. And then you go to a 60 to keep them out of trouble. Yeah. And the goal is for them to go, oh, shit, and they turn around and they come back. But if you don't practice how to t- turn the remote collar off incrementally, so you can't yeah. just go from conditioning four to then a yeah. 60, because what can happen is it's it's what we call superstitious association. The dog has no idea what that level is, where it's coming from, and how to shut it off because we didn't do enough conditioning with the remote that they think it's the animal that's chasing them. And that it, it, it actually can make it, yeah. yeah. So it can make things worse. Like when we mm-hmm. do, when we do bite work with um, protection dogs, uh, I've seen a lot of decoys. It's interesting, right? Because the, the pet owners and the public eye don't understand um, when dogs are playing with the tug toy or the squeaker toys they get from the box, they're actually killing that thing. That's why yeah. the squeak in there is like this predatorial mouse yeah. that I'm killing, right? And so what I've seen a lot of decoys do in the protection world is when a puppy or an adolescent dog bites the pillow or the wedge, 
um, what they'll do is they'll take the long line and they'll and they'll actually use it like a heart. So the dog will clamp down on the prey or the tug toy and they'll start like mimicking a heart too to like, and it really amps them up. So my point is, is if you did that, it could make things dramatically worse. So the introduction process with the remote collar, I want to know two things. I want to know what are the levels on your remote collar and the functions? It goes from like zero to 36, I think. I've never gone above 10. And I have, let me grab it. So I have like the, this is the vibration and then this is the stim. And then like it lets me adjust the dial, like the level up here. And there's also like a beep. So if I press the button, it's like an auditory Mm -hmm. stimulus. Um, And that's about it. Okay. But it goes from zero to 30, like 36 or 40, something like that. Okay. Uh, at what level, this is a good gauge that I try to, because I understand not everybody, you know, gets the same collars and equipment. Um, so what, at what level can you feel your stimulation on your inside of your wrist? Or do you not know? Like three. You can feel it, right? And it doesn't, it's not like yeah. this sucks. It's just, oh, I feel that tingle. I would no. I would say like it sucks for me at like like a four. Okay, so there's spectrums to remote collars. That's why I'm asking. So yeah. to give you reference, like my remote collar has that 127 range, and a mm-hmm. four is very similar to a six, and a six is very similar to an eight. So it allows you to get very incremental and very granular with dogs mm-hmm. because some dogs are more sensitive than others, and it just allows more precision. So, um, the reason why I'm saying this is, um, so like if, if I put my remote collar to my wrist, I typically don't feel it like that little sensation of the stimulation. I typically don't feel it till about, um, an eight to an 11, depending on the day, I guess. Um, I don't feel it. And I would say it would be like, okay, this is uncomfortable at probably a 18 to 20, maybe a plus 20 a little bit. Okay. So I'm just trying to figure out like where your levels, what your levels mean to my levels, right? Because some yeah. callers on Amazon are like three levels and it's ouch, ouch, and oucher. And it's like, that's, yeah. that's not a, that's not the way that I, and that's the, that's like the whole probably problematic thing with remote collar training in general is because there's so many different remote collars out there. And if, Somebody goes out and buys a cheapo and says, oh, Tom's using a four on my remote. You know what I mean? So anyway, um, okay. So when you start to feel the stimulation on your wrist is probably you would want to go, like let's say that's a three. So you probably want to start off on like, what are you using right now for stim? How how have you introduced the remote collar is my next question. So I started just using the vibration as okay. negative reinforcement which i can it's i can put it on me and it doesn't hurt it's just annoying sure um and so i started doing that and then i started initially at what i could feel being uncomfortable which was like a, a four and i started at a four to use that as negative reinforcement when the vibration was not working okay like she was not responding to the vibration However, I didn't feel like she responded to the four. I don't know if she felt it. There was no 
no ear twitch, no, like she didn't yeah. show any signs that she felt it. Yep. Okay. So the only, um, the only problem you could see with that is the remote collar. Uh, she's not conditioned on the remote collar too much, if any. So we're, we're putting it on and, and, and typically we put it on when we're about to go do something that we may need it for. And so it's mm -hmm. not on often. It's like, well, we're going to go outside or we're going to go off leash. And so what happens is, is um, a couple things. The dog will then associate the remote collar with, they become very collar aware. So yeah. what, what happens is, is they're like, oh, when this thing's on, I have to listen. Or when this thing's on, mom's going to hold me accountable or whatever the circumstances exactly. are. Uh, same thing with the the, the nail, nail clippers type thing, right? They're like, oh, I know what this means, peace. But it, it also, for most dogs, can mean we're going outside, so it kind of counters, and the dog's like, okay, fine. So um, there's that. And then so, so typically like what we do for remote collar training is let's say you wanted to start the first week of the month. What we would do is the month before is put the collar on every day just so they're, so they're like, this is just another thing. And then what we do is we use low-level stimulation conditioning for the dog to have an opportunity to shut the remote collar off at a non-aversive level. Um, and I say opportunity, but it, it's really just a learning curve is what it is because yeah. the remote collar at scale, once it's finished, gives your dog the responsible freedom to be off leash and you can have your cake and eat it too. Because we know, like I love dogs too much to be naive that they're going to come back because they love me or because they want a piece of food in my pocket. That's inhumane. That's yeah. not going to happen. So when you have a dog that's, that's you're like, okay, I'm going to teach my dog how to respond to the remote collar stimulation. And so what you do is you condition it in the beginning. So you turn it on to one and you do negative reinforcement because it, if the dog isn't familiarized with the stimulation levels and how to work with it, then when yeah. you're using it out of pocket, when you're just basically like, oh shit, she's running off. And then you turn it up to an aversive level. The problem is, is they don't know how to deal with that. It's like, it's like, um, it's like kind of getting, um, th there's no, there's no explanation of what's happening. There's like, what, what is this now? Is this a B? Is this, what is this? Yeah. And so that's like where a lot of, including yourself is probably better and it's much more effective and much more successful and way less stressful for both parties. If you teach the dog, this is me, this is how to shut it off. Uh, and, and, and you basically teach them negative reinforcement. So it would be like this. So the negative reinforcement at a low level stimulation is kind of just tapping somebody on somebody's shoulder and then they, and then they look over at you and then you, you stop tapping somebody on somebody's shoulder and they look over and they stop and so on and so forth. So yeah. all you're doing is that classical negative reinforcement. You get into the car, the seatbelt goes ding, ding, ding. What do you do? You take your seatbelt, you click it in classical negative reinforcement. Right. So once they understand how to shut this off, right? Like imagine getting into a car and it's this annoying ding and you're like, what is this? You call up the company. You're like, what is going on? And they say, oh, you got to put your seatbelt on, right? She doesn't know how to put the seatbelt on. She doesn't understand that. So when you're insane, so it would be the equivalent to you, you getting her out and then you're, you know, you're punching her shoulder, which is more intense to have a quicker turnaround and also when she's in an environment or in a situation or an equation that is very distracting, she may need that very intense, like, hey, snap out of it. But if she doesn't know how to turn it off at a small level, at a micro, then it's not going to make sense. She'll just run faster. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, or she'll just get, some dogs will just get scared. And that's where, again, like this whole, I, th- I think literally the whole remote collar, like BS that happens in the world is because of these reasons. People just don't know how to introduce them. Of course. And then of course it makes dogs, uh, it, it could make dogs stressful for those reasons. Cause it's like, well, that's not how you would do it. So, um, my suggestion for you is you have to go back down to the fundamentals and work on that one or two okay. to condition. Because right now when you turn it up, the reason why she's not turning around going, oh, I know what that is, is because you haven't taught her what it is. Yeah. Likely. I f- yeah. I feel like she does know. I, so I, I'll admit I did not do like the gradual thing. Like that's something, that's a really smart idea. I'm definitely going to go back and do that. But I do feel like she knows it's me and sure. And what it means. I just think that <laughs> you can see her. Yeah. Um, I just think that at that, in the moment, she doesn't care. Sure. And so I'm, I'm, yeah. So, it's, so here's my, here's, I understand, but, uh, your collar has how many levels? I, I would say like 40. Okay. So listen, you've gone up to how, what was your highest level? 10? 10. 10. Okay. Look, I totally get what you're saying and I would agree with you. There's going to be a time and a place. That's why we do remote collar training is because if you have a dog that is drivey and is opportunistic and energetic and young and like, we'll see a deer and go whoop, or in your case, see a mongoose or see a dog or a, a, um, a cat. That's what happens, right? They're like, whoop, I'm gone. That's why we do remote collar training because we don't want to have to tether our dogs up for the rest of their life if we're able to train them off leash. But the problem is, is... Um, again, like you haven't really showed her how to shut it off. Um, and, and also like, it's, if I were to tell you like, go up to a 30, then it's not going to be fair for her because she's not conditioned. She doesn't. So now somebody's like smack at the back of her head. What do you want me to do? How do I shut this off? You know, now there's like a a siren in the car that you don't know how to shut it off with using the seatbelt. Right. So again, like if you were to teach somebody to get into a car and it just is like, ding, ding, ding. And you're like, that's kind of annoying. What is this? You put your seatbelt on, it goes away. You're like, oh, if I do this, this shuts off. But then let's say like what you're doing is you're putting somebody in a car that's new to driving and there's a siren, womp, womp, womp. And you're like losing your mind. You're stressed. So what are you going to do? You're going to get out of the car. Right, you're just going to remove yourself from the situation. You're going to get as further. You're going to you're going to get as far away as you can from that annoying thing that you don't know how to shut off. So what's going to happen is, is if you turn up your levels to your dog when they're chasing a mongoose or a cat to kill, when you go up in your levels, they're just going to keep running faster, or they're going to they're going to get more pissed off, or whatever the case may be. So you have to right. understand that um, at some point, it's the reason why we use remote collars is to hold our dogs accountable wirelessly that's the point but if they don't fundamentally know how to shut it off wirelessly at that corrective level yeah it's going to make it could make everything worse sometimes you can get lucky where you correct a dog on a higher level and they stop dead in their tracks and then you shut it off and then you go back down and you wire them back in but you're not going to have that timing it's going to be a cat's going to go and you're going to go and you have to be prepared for that yeah so that's my point is i totally understand what you're saying and if the highest you've gone is, um, you know, a quarter, so 10 out of the 40, and you're like, I feel like if I did go up, she might stop. But also I've seen dogs just twitch their neck and keep running because they don't understand at a fundamental level what it is. Yeah. 
And what you're doing is, is you are the seatbelt. You come back to me, everything shuts off. But you do it at a low enough level where the dog goes, aha. So you never really have to get to that point and you never really have to get to that level. But furthermore, it's so interesting to see dogs' behavior once you're able to touch them from a half a mile away. Be- because they're so used, at, most dogs are so used to only being held accountable at a four to six foot leash or yeah. only being told what to do or asked what to do in an obedience program from four to six feet away. So the moment they're a hundred feet away from you, the context and the picture of listening deteriorates because they're like, not only will they probably not come back because of marketing and, and, and currency, but it's a picture they've never seen before. So they're going to be like, I'm not going to come back to you. We've never trained this. And that's why I have an e-collar course. And so in the e-collar course, again, the diff, the, um, so the blending between the levels, that gray area of like beginner to intermediate to advanced is a, a long line. So if I have a dog that has not ha- had a punitive or an aversive level yet, on the long line and they're out and I'm in between that gray area, I'll use my leash to add that pressure and that correction before I jump my levels because they're not prepared for that. So if I have a 30 footer and the, the leash is down, like I'm close enough to the dog where it's not taut and I can see him kind of like looking and investigating. And then, the, you know, the next move is to road runner away what I would do is I would say, Tofi, come. And then Tofi would be like, locked in. And then I would pop the leash or the collar. And then that would add that correction. So you're blending in, hey, I can touch you from here. But I'm not going to use the remote collar as an aversive level yet. Because even the picture of being away from you is the reason why dogs sometimes don't listen off leash, right? So it's, it's a picture changing thing. So I think if you went back down and built your way back up, Okay. When when you did need to use that higher level to stop this dog dead in her tracks before she kills a cat, she knows how to shut it off and where it's coming from. Right now, if you did that, it could accelerate her because of the simple fact of, like, she has no idea what the hell this is. She's never yeah. – you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, cool. I'll definitely Makes need to have it in track. Yeah, okay. 100%. Cool. Um, so, so, again, like, uh, your transitional stuff, just use your long line. Okay. Because that way – just get, get yeah yeah just get one like literally go anywhere and get a rope and a carabiner like it doesn't have to be anything okay. fancy just get a just get a long rope okay <clears throat> make sense yeah okay so yeah. we'll move on to some other stuff um the the in between there where you were saying is that that's what i call the zoomies by the way so like she comes home and she's just like going crazy yeah. um yeah. is that something that's like huge on your list of things you want to talk about or do you want to move on to like the stimulated humping all that stuff i would rather do that okay so when you get that overstimulation give me context so what does this look like when does it happen where does it happen what's going on so it's when usually it's when i'm like physically either sitting down or lying down on my bed um it's never like when i'm standing it's like i'll be eating dinner and she'll like get up on my lap and like she always sniffs my ears mm-hmm. and then starts humping. 
um, or I'm lying down on my bed and she'll get, she's like, I can tell she's already excited and she comes over to my face and she starts licking my face, smelling my ears and she starts like humping me. Okay. So, um, sometimes that's just like an over, like, and again, you can search the internet and you're going to get 10 different answers or a hundred. Um, and so nobody really knows for sure, uh, exactly why these things happen, but some definites during these processes of, of why dogs do that is just typical, like overstimulation and excitement. So if, and it makes sense. So if you are like standing up or you're stationary, like maybe in your chair, like you are here, but then you get on the, the dog's level, it's more of a, oh, I'm excited about this. Like I, um, I'm stimulated by this and therefore this is especially and male and females have done it. Like I've seen females do this and males obviously, but, um, it's, it's, it's obviously not anything of a reproductive thing by any means. It's more of, I'm excited and I'm stimulated. I don't think she's trying to mate with you by any means. I think it's more of like this, like, so, um, it'd be okay. So it'd be like this. Like if you were again, standing right, like if I were, if I were to get on the ground with my dog, her energy and her behavior towards me would change completely because she'd be like, well, this is great. You're on my level. And she would lick me and her tail and she'd be like all excited because, um, she has access to my face. She has access to everything. She's just so excited. And so I think really what it comes down to, to make it as easy and as simple as possible is I think once you get on her level or you are at a closer level to her. She just gets overly stimulated. And then that's like how she wears these things. Some dogs will chirp and yell and nip and flea bite and spin, um, things like that. And then some dogs will do other things. And, um, you know, some dogs will piddle, like they pee on themselves because they're like, Oh my God, you're here with me. This is so lovely. Like how endearing. (laughs) And then other dogs may hump and other dogs may do other things. So I know it's confusing because it's like, why are you doing this? This is weird. Um, but that's really what it comes down to is dogs just get like really stimulated and that's sometimes how they wear that external stimulation. And And then, sorry, no, no, you go ahead. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't her like trying to dominate me or yeah, I don't, she has a very strong personality. I don't, I don't see it like that typically. And okay. Okay. Um, if she is like, licking you and doing all of these things as she's doing it. Yeah. It's not going to be that because I, I don't want to say humping or, or mounting doesn't have that behavior involved because I have seen some pretty pushy, ballsy, intact males right. do like they'll latch onto somebody and just growl at yeah. their face. And that's terrifying. And I've had that happen. Um, and I, I, I don't want to say like, oh no, they're just excited that you're no, I, I think that it does exist, but in your context, I yeah. think you getting at her level, it makes her really excited and she just doesn't really know how to handle it. And she can't tell you enough how much she's excited that you're there with her. And so she's, she's smothering you. And, um, two things is tip. I mean, honestly, what I would do to like literally work on this today is just put a slip leash on her or whatever collars you're using, and then get on her level. Like you could get down, like the first level, if you're standing up, you can get on your knees and then she can be like, oh, and she's going to come up and she's going to smother you. But you're basically going to treat her like a little puppy of like what is appropriate and what's not 
like biting, nipping, jumping, etc. You would do the same thing. You would mm-hmm. just you would just keep her in line with your leash. So if she hopped up, you'd be off, boom. And then if she okay. calmed down, you would reward her. Um, or just um, the other thing is is just countering with other obedience. Like if you laid on your bed, and she was just like you didn't feel like oh I'm gonna go with the leash out and I'm gonna do this and like you don't have to do that but if you had like better obedience where if you have like a little bed in your room or a little cot or a little place or a touch pad for her um you could send her that because like you lay down in their bed and she's like cool I'm gonna come smother you now you could say you could just you could just sit you could just tell her to go to her place or go to her bed so be Tophie place but again that's 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 something that it's like the recall you're not gonna I'm going to work on place lying down on my bed because it's a mm-hmm. send away from a heavy distraction without context. You have to teach yeah. what the place is first, yeah. et cetera. So I just don't think it's like, I don't think it's, it's the same thing that we're going to talk about in a minute with the, with the nails is it's this very primal, not malicious, like I'm excited and this is how I'm wearing my excitement so I think you would just counter with obedience. It would be the same thing if you were a nanny or a mom or a, a, an aunt of kids, nieces and nephews, and you have manners with them. And then you go to Disney World and they are like, I am so excited to be here. I'm going to run across the parking lot and be crazy. And you're like, no, wait for me. Hold my hand. Calm down. Like you have obedience, air quotes, if you will, on the kids and or, or manners to say, hey, this, I know you're excited. This is an exciting place. And you're a kid. And there's Mickey Mouse. But you have to listen to me because you're going to get yourself hurt if you don't. And and or it's like, it's going to be miserable if you don't. So with dogs, it's very similar. She's going to be, yay, you're on my level. This is so exciting. I love you so much. You're never here. I never see you like this. And it's just like this exciting thing. And then you would just say like, go to your place or whatever. And that's how personally I would handle it because I don't think you're going to be able to, you, I don't think you're ever going to be able to be like, don't care that I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's, she loves you. So she's always going to be like, yay. But you just have to, just like with puppies, you have to teach them what's appropriate and what's not. And they go, oh, okay. Okay. So nail trimming. Uh, so similar type of conversation. Uh, it's the same, like, the, uh, so nail trimming is something I get a lot. It's the same equivalent to, like, thunder or lightning with dogs is they innately, primally, instinctually don't like it. So when we do nail trimming, especially with, um, this is common to see with dogs who, like, when they're puppies, I mean, the best thing to do is obviously, like, trim, 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 like, every other day. So that way it doesn't become a problem. Uh, doing lots of positive reinforcement with lick mats and anything you can to be like, this is great. And that way when they see the Dremel or they see the clippers, they're not like, you want, you want to reverse that conditioning. But but if it doesn't go like that, um, or even if you hit a quip or something and it sucks for the dog, um, then it's, it's t- so it's like the vet. Like dog owners are like, I want my dog to like the vet. I'm like, okay. But understand, understand that in the context of the dog, the dog goes to the vet once or twice a year, gets poked, prodded, and manhandled by people that we don't know, 
it's a mm-hmm. v- it's a very stressful situation. Uh, and it's literally everything that a dog doesn't like stacked up into one place. And so when you pull into that veterinary office, let me ask you why your dog would like to be there. And it's like, oh, that makes sense. So it's similar to like the nail thing is when the nails come out, there's nothing but stress involved with what's going to happen. I don't like this. I'm uncomfortable with this. Like one of the biggest behavioral challenges, and I say challenges, But like one of the biggest behavioral things that dogs instinctually will do is they don't like their pads or their feet being touched. So for the AKC, one of the tests for the uh, AKC Good Citizen is they have to be able to have somebody pet their, I'm sorry, uh, handle their pads without too much reluctancy. If a dog pulls back, that's okay, but they can't growl, they can't freak out because if they do, they can't pass the test. But it's one of the big. It's one of the biggest reasons why dogs don't pass that test is because they just instinctually do not like that, and or, it's like also too. How often do you t- touch your dog's pads and your dog's feet? It's like well, the only time I do it is to trim their nails, and it sucks for them. It's like again, it's you're you're stacking up all the cards against you. So to be honest with you, um, my dog hates it too. My other dog, I had a Saint Bernard that could care less because that's kind of their vibe anyway but i have a dutchy shepherd hates it my last dog she was a mix she hated it and i just i just let the pros do it the 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 groomers because they have all sorts of different things um so i don't think there's okay so what is the realistic path and roadmap i don't think that it's going to be realistic or even fair for either of you to say that she's ever going to just accept it and calm down and lay there i don't think that's ever going to happen but how can we realistically like get this done i think what you did was perfect because that's what i do i'm not gonna create this stressful situation in my home with my dog and i just when you go to the groomer you're gonna get groomed she's gonna do your nail they're gonna do it a lot faster and a lot more efficiently than i can although i can do it it's just that's that's more where I'm at is I don't like I'm not going to have anybody help me pin my dog down in this really stressful situation because then for the rest of the day they're going to be like I remember my dog Lola she was so smart about those clippers that like when I came, when I came to like sit on the couch she would like look at what's in my hands and if yeah. she saw the clippers or anything that resembled clippers she would literally run off the couch because she's just like nope not happening. And so again, like, I'm not going to be like, why don't you like this? I don't understand. Like, I get it. So I think what you're doing is, is good is you're kind of like almost an out of sight, out of mind thing, because there's really nothing you can do to have her accept what's about to happen. So it's like these nails have to, I mean, it's a win, win, lose type thing. Like her nails have to be trimmed, obviously for many different reasons and it sucks. And so if you're like, I'm just going to have somebody else do it so she doesn't get pissed at me. That's what I do. Cause I, she ha- her, her nails have to be trimmed at no point in her life. I mean, some days it may be easier because she's been ran or whatever, but it's never just going to be this non confrontational, stressful thing for us. So I'm just yeah. being honest. I don't want to blow smoke and gaslight you to say, Oh no, like do these things and your dog will love it. Like, think about it what you know your dog hates it because sometimes it can be painful and now you're at a place where your dog has to be restrained 
physically by three other adults. And so now yeah. it's even like, but that's what you have to do in order to do it. Yeah. So uh, that's my answer. I would just say like fairy tale world. I can give you some advice. Um, but typically fairy tale world doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, but some things that have been helpful slightly for some people, especially in the beginning stages, has been, and this may be so obvious to you, so forgive me if it is, but desensitization um, over time with something they really love, lick mats, um, yeah. muzzle conditioning, obviously makes things easier. But it's But none of that, if you have to force yourself to, if you have to force to do something to your dog, like I call it ethical compulsion, like, what are we going to do? Like, oh, my dog doesn't like their nails trimmed. So we just let their you know, nails grow and then they break it off and they bleed everywhere. And then they have arthritis and their backs messed up. No, nobody's doing that. So, mm-hmm. Well, I hope not. But again, like it's something that you just have to, you have to physically do. And yeah. so again, it's like, I just don't think it's ever going to be a point where, and I'm just being honest with you, but again, like muzzle conditioning. So you don't get bit in the process mm-hmm. is helpful to the people that are helping you. Um, but then again, like uh, fairy tale world, put a lick mat down with some peanut butter and get your dog and just touch the pads with nothing in your hand and then walk away, touch the pad. So you would take a, and again, this may be fairy tale world and it likely is you get your knife, you get your peanut butter, you get a lick mat, you stick it on the wall, swipe some peanut butter, cream cheese on there, whatever the heck you fancy. The dog goes to it and licks it. You touch your dog's pad, you walk away. You get another swipe and you're not doing this all at once. You're just doing swipe. And then that's how you would do it. And then, and then slowly you just pick your dog's leg up. But the moment they look down and see those trimmers, they're gone. Realistically. I mean, I'd love to sit here and say like, oh no, you just, all you do is positive reinforcement until your dog enjoys it. Like, I'm not going to waste your time or my time saying that. So I think what you're doing is as fair and as realistic as it gets. We, yeah, I think also the resources that I have here on the island, like we don't have a groomer. Exactly. So I, I'm I'm moving back to this to the states slash Canada in April. So I'll have access to a groomer, be able to get a 30 yeah. foot lead. Um, yeah, and that's that's what I would do. Is just let the I mean the groomers are like saints, yeah. you know. They do what other people either don't want to do or can't do, and I have a lot of respect for dog groomers for that reason because i mean that they have yeah they have to get i would say 50 or more percent or maybe way more percent of dogs that um you know don't like being touched or groomed or anything they have to do it and it's for their and again it's like one of those things it's like it's for their best interest and um you got to do it well that's why i was also interested in asking you about the nail clipping because as a like a soon to be vet in like pretty much less than a year at this point, mm-hmm. I'm, it makes me sad that a lot of my relationship with animals will be like negative like that because right. every, all like, so I was just wondering like a hundred percent. So, but that. yeah, no, totally. And I did a talk at a university, um, this last year. And one of the things that I talked about is, is trying to make that relationship of veterinarians and um, their clients better because right now it's really not set up well. And from yeah. a from a medical standpoint, on your end, it's something that obviously has to be done. Um, but there's no like middle ground of okay, well, 
yeah, you know, I have to go to work and do a bunch of things. And, and of course, depending on what that you're in, it doesn't matter if you're in zoology or a small animal or, or equine or whatever, but it's like, there's no middle ground of like, how do we prepare our dogs to be successful? Because it sucks for you too. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you're the one that's like, it's, you're in the groomer situation. You're like, okay, now we have this dog that doesn't like the vet because the vet comes or the dog comes once or twice a year. And, and again, it's a very uncomfortable experience. There's no middle ground. It's like, sometimes you get those unicorn dogs that are like, I love everybody. And then you, you know, you give them their vaccines or something and they may like turn and look at you and then they're like, I love you. And, but those dogs are like few and far in between. Those are the unicorn dogs that will come in or animals in general. Um, but yeah, it's, it's tough. And that's, I did a presentation, um, on that because from a behavioral standpoint, I'm a behavioral expert, behaviorist, whatever you want to call me. I specialize in helping people understand the behavior of their dog, but there's situations where like the vet offices and in that field, it sets it sets you up for failure. It sets the dog up for failure. It sets the owner up for failure. And there's, I don't want to say there's no conversation, but there's nothing actually. It seems being executed to really. And that's what I I I, I did a bunch of tips on when you get a dog at any age. When you get a puppy, like the vet's offices should be set up where people can come in for ten minutes, paying their dog heavily, and then leaving. And they should be encouraging, like, okay. We recommend you calling us and seeing if there's an open spot in our desensitization room where literally you have one room set up in your office where uh, it's it's like the same thing and a dog comes in and you do like a place on the waiting scale. You're paying the dog heavily. It's a fun thing and then you leave. And then every time they go to the vet, they're like, I can't wait to get out of this car to go in there. And now it's the exact opposite because again, they get out and they're being handled by people they don't know and poked and prodded and everything else. And yeah, it's, it's sad. And, um, I've, I've dove into that, but it's, but it's, it's weird too, because I don't think it's, it seems that the, I I don't think the vet, veterinarian institutions are even thinking about a solution because, because there's behaviorists and there's dog trainers and there's people who work with, and I primarily specialize in dogs who have uh, behavioral issues if you will aggressive tendencies to being anxious that's my that's my cup of tea but it almost seems like there's not this like whoa why don't we ask those people they would know how to make this better i know so the end of the podcast consists of more dog training information again giving you guys as much value as absolutely possible if you want me to answer your questions head over to the itunes review chart leave your review and your question and i'll answer it next episode first one comes from Fear-free shelter equals bad behavior. Eric Metronome. Um, This person's name is Kim. So, hi, Tom. I love the podcast. Your approach and explanation for everyday lifestyle dog behavior is life-changing. My question is more about my volunteerism at my local shelter. Our Columbus County, Ohio shelter is a large over 10,000 dogs a year and typically 150 dogs on the adoption floor at any given time. The shelter uses fear-free methods, which are wonderful for most dogs, but it makes sense because there are so many levels of abilities of the volunteers. But there's a small group of... um, small group that are trained for working with the tougher behavioral cases, typically leash biting, mouthy, jumpy, grabby, reactivity, etc. Do you have any suggestions or ideas for dealing with the more severe behavioral cases, especially with leash biting and maybe uh, things we haven't thought of? We use high and tight slip leads, PVC pipe over the leash, 
redirecting tools, squeaker voices, tossing treats, asking for sits and rewarding. And sometimes these work and sometimes not so much. We've completely understand, uh, we've, we completely understand the high stress environment and know a lot of behavior shelter stress related, but always looking for more options. I generally would love an episode or more on shelter dogs behavior. Thanks, Kim. It's a great question. I don't think I've answered it before on the podcast. Um, I do volunteer my time at shelters when possible. Um, and I would just say, you know, just to say it that, uh, you know, that's good that you guys are using slips and stuff, but it's like, you know, it's a conversation I think that you'd have to have with management. And that's why I don't work with a lot of shelters is becomes, it becomes extraordinarily political. Unfortunately, um, I know it kind of sounds crazy, but there, there's people out there that would rather see the dogs die than do something that goes against their general opinion. Um, so it happens every day. Um, dogs, hundreds, thousands of dogs are killed every day because of it, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, one thing that I love doing is helping shelters that understand that um, positive reinforcement isn't gonna isn't gonna solve a, a reactive dog that's been abused for years. And uh, the other thing is, is you guys are using slips, so you're definitely not any type of like force free, um, because you know using slips and telling dogs that they can't try to kill you is 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 using some sort of force and uh, some sort of compulsion to teach the dog that that behavior is bad. So I'll just say that. Uh, my biggest advice is uh, exercise. So I think one of the biggest things that uh, shelter dog needs more than training is exercise. So if you guys have runs, if you have treadmills, if you have any type of area that the dogs can just run in and you just throw balls and you just get the dog running, even if you can't even be inside the kennel with the dog or the, the running area with the dog, I think that's the biggest thing um, that shelter dogs needs that are really just in general, but if, especially if they're dealing with behavioral problems, because uh, a lot of dogs are really wound up high and tight and uh, it makes sense why they're losing their ever loving mind inside of a facility that um, contains the, the most stress that a dog could go through barking, um, constant changes. Um, yeah, it's just not, it's not fun. Um, so exercise is the best, the best thing. Uh, and then, yeah. And I would just say like, honestly, if you can get some of your volunteers to watch some of my videos, I mean, or anybody else's videos, the idea is, is that's all free for you guys. Like, that's why we make them. That's why we have them out is for people like you that are, uh, that's how I've developed my career just in general. You guys is like, I've been putting out free content for a long time now on YouTube. And now it's getting to a point where it's so highly produced that it's like, a TV show for free to help you guys. And so that's my recommendation. And not to mention the majority of dogs that I'm working with are extraordinarily reactive and have behavioral issues. So honestly, that's my recommendation. Um, besides exercise, um, you know, and just try to just try to help everybody understand like what dogs need individually. And hopefully you can, you know, make some some, but if you're doing thresholds and you're doing slip leashes and you're teaching boundaries, I mean, that's all you can really do, um, again, outside of, um, any type of, um, uh, physical stimulation. So just getting those dogs out and working is, is really, really important. Um, so that's my recommendation to you on that. I'm going to move on to the next one. CLB963, five-star review. Love this podcast. You Murtillo, keep up the excellent content. What tree patch do you use and where do you, and do you sell them? Funny story. Uh, we are working on those troop vouchers that I use. Uh, they're in post or pre-production right now. Uh, we're going over uh, all the ins and the outs. And uh, once they're live, I will certainly, certainly, certainly let you guys know about it. Um, so anyway, yep. Thank you for pointing out that because I do love those troop pouches and we are making them for you guys soon. 
All right, uh, AJ, the Corso guy, go to God, dog trainer. Uh, what should I do to help my seven-month-old Great Dane use a Herm Springer pressure? She whines if I apply pressure. Well, I think, first of all, it's like, you know, some dogs are very, 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 very um, um, uh, sensitive. Uh, Danes can be. And so my recommendation is to um, just, you know, maybe switch to a slip and then gradually go into – um, maybe go into, uh, some of the other things. Uh, so like leash, you got to teach your dog leash pressure first in order for them to understand how to shut it off. I think that's the, that's, that's the one thing that a lot of people, uh, do is they don't teach the dog how to shut it off. They just put it on. And, and to be fair, there's many times where, uh, you don't have an opportunity to do that. You know, there's a lot of situations that can be, you know, dangerous and you have to, you know, really work on, um, things quick. Um, but in your situation, I would just teach the dog, uh, leash pressure, uh, first. And then I think, uh, outside of that, I think it's important for you to, um, you know, just be really fair with your dog, uh, maybe switching to a slip or even a plastic pinch collar. Um, and again, like when you're applying leash pressure and you're teaching leash pressure, uh, there's a difference between direction and a correction. So I think in the beginning, you also have to make sure that you're not correcting your dog and popping the collar. I think you should just be using like directional pressure. All of that, um, is in my, um, no bad dogs Kickstarter course. It's a great place to start for anybody that wants to learn how to do things the right way in the beginning. Um, all right, cool. Thank you for the review. I appreciate you. We're going to go on to the next one. Cheyenne Noel. Hi, Tom. Oh, uh, first off, thank you always for providing such quality content on all things dog. You have made a huge difference in my life as well as my dogs. I have pretty, I have a pretty reactive three-year-old healer mix. His obedience is fair and is still a work in progress. I understand with reactive dogs, you must have a really strong obedience to counteract the reactivity. However, my question is, is how to begin change his emotional response to dogs? Ooh, it's a good question. How would you suggest more exposure at a far distance uh, and building a closer threshold without reacting? Would you suggest the first steps to building a calmer, neutral response to dogs? My goal is neutrality. Uh, it's a good question. I would say, um, it's, well, it's a good question because I like where your head's at with like how do you change your dog's like overall response emotionally to dogs, which is something I talk about a, a lot in my podcast or in my videos is my goal is, isn't to correct a dog to say, Hey, reacting isn't bad, or I'm sorry, reacting is bad. My goal is actually to change the dog's perception of the other dog entirely. Uh, and, but to be fair, sometimes dogs, they, they're not going to, they don't like other dogs. And that's your only option is to literally, um, help them just how to manage the situation. Like, Hey, I know you're never going to like this dog or you're never going to like other dogs in general. You're never going to like people, but this is how you behave. And this is how, um, you know, you should be, you know, neutral around other people. But I think the answer is, um, you know, the correction definitely helps. I have so many videos online where, we take a dog that is super reactive because that's all they've ever known and they don't really know how to handle the situation. And again, they're not aggressive. They're just reactive. They don't, that's their reaction. I mean, that's their behavior. They go, oh shit, there's a dog. Boom, they explode. So after you correct the behavior to say, hey, reacting is inappropriate. The first immediate thing that typically happens is the dog says, oh shoot, if I bark and react and lunge, I get correct and I get punished. I don't want to. And then what ends up happening is, is because they've been so obsessed and in this routine of um, reacting or whatever, it gives them an opportunity to think. They go, oh, this is so much better. This is lovely. This is how I behave. Hey, Fido, come, boom, you pay him. Boom, you pay him. Come, yes, boom, you pay him. Come, yes, boom, you pay him. It's this whole thing that gives you an opportunity to um, really help um, 
another another a dog get over other dogs um so it's kind of like hey quit the crap and the dog goes well now what do i do hey come over here boom hey come over here boom so that's like my goal when i'm doing um the like the 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 emotional thing and then and then slowly but surely you know getting closer to these other dogs and building confidence around these other dogs with neutrality so i think at the beginning it's just helping the dog make a good decision and kind of sharpening things up. Um, there's a podcast that I have on here. Excuse me. There's a podcast that I have on here. It's episode 101. It's called The Dog Reactivity Blueprint, I believe. That particular episode really breaks down leash reactivity very well. Um, so that's another podcast I would recommend. Um, so anyway, that's the three questions, and I'll answer three more next week. Make sure if you guys have questions for me, hey, Let's go. Get them in there. Support the support the movement. Join the members club. Click the links below. Love you guys. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.